Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi, Ben. Greetings. Ben, what's going on? How you doing today? I'm feeling, you know what, tired and uh, worn out. It's been a long week, and it's been a weird day. So okay, that's kind of where my head's at. It's been a long week for Ben because he has been out driving some brand new Jeeps. And uh, it's been a long week for me because uh, I've had a very familiar car uh, at... Uh, at my fingertips. So who do, who wants to go first? Do you want to drive? You want to talk about your Jeep, or should I talk about uh, the Toyota 86 I've got uh, this week? Sure, I'll t- I'll talk about the Jeep. Um, right. Go ahead. Well, I had the chance to go to San Antonio in Texas to drive the 2017 Jeep Compass, which is not and you, to be. And you took that chance, right? Yes, and it's not to be confused with the 2017 Jeep Compass, which is also on sale. Um, at any Jeep dealership, there are two Jeep Compasses for the 2017 model year that are completely different vehicles. I think they're just trying to sell that as much inventory as they have. There's at least a few more months where you can go in and see two different but same uh, Jeeps. Um, uh, can you can you can you hold up on me on that for a sec? That sounds really confusing. Do they have a way to differentiate? Is one going to be called the Jeep Compass Select or no, Legacy no, they're, or something? They're exactly the same name. It's it's not like that kind of situation. It's just I, they, it's it's an unusual weird thing. They don't look anything alike, but you go into the dealership and there's they're both 2017 models. So if you're interested in the new one, which I recommend you would be interested in because it's it's a big upgrade, make sure you tell the salesman that before you start talking about. Um, you know how much you want to pay and hammering down a deal. In any case, uh, the new the new compass, the new new compass is um, it's basically there to replace not just the old compass but also the Patriot. At least that's how it was presented when we were okay. discussing things this week. Um, the, 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 those two vehicles together, they sell a lot for Jeep. Uh, they're huge, huge sellers. They're they're tiny little SUVs. Um, the the Patriot is the the cheapest SUV from Jeep, probably the cheapest. I don't. I think it's trail rated. I think there's a trail rated version. So probably the cheapest off-roader you can buy, but that's reflected by the quality of the vehicle. I know Sammy, have you ever driven a, a Patriot or, or an old Compass? I have driven an old Compass, and it was one of the saddest experiences of my life. It was really, really bad. It was very cheap inside. It was very loud. The NVH, uh, the noise, vibration, harshness, you know, that kind of uh, that kind of jazz was uh, unbearable. And I wanted to get out of it as soon as possible. Yeah, I I would concur that with, with that assessment, it's it's well no it's it's you know for for a long time I think Jeep just kept making these two SUVs because they were selling and they were cheap. Uh, there were always deals on them, on top of an already low asking price, so they flew out of out of dealerships and they were also very popular to be flat towed behind motorhomes, so that was a, a demographic for them. Um, well, it's you know it's an important consideration. They can put the transmission in full neutral. And uh, not not damage it, which is not true of every vehicle with uh, all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, I should say. Okay, but, will you will you will you begin to talk about the new car? Because now you're just depressing me with all of this old Compass facts. Okay, so this new <laughs> Compass, it basically, I said I keep saying basically today. I don't know what that's about. The new basically. Compass, the new Compass looks a lot like the Grand Cherokee, which is great because uh, the Grand Cherokee is a sexy-looking SUV, and they decided to take that as the template. Um, underneath, it's not a Grand Cherokee. It is actually a Renegade, uh, for the most part. It's a stretched version of the same platform you'd find on the the Renegade or the Fiat 500X. So you have that. Um, it's it's the four wheel drive system. You can get low range if you want it. You can get two wheel drive. 
you can get um, they have the Trailhawk version, which is the super off-road oriented model that has the rock crawl function. It has uh, tow hooks, has a little bit more ground clearance, not a lot. I think it's like 0.7 inches um, over the the two-wheel drive model, which is I think 8.2 inches. But it's uh, it's longer than the Renegade, and when you park them side by side, which I did do, th- there's clearly a difference. It's clearly a much larger vehicle. It, it's it's uh, almost 20% larger for, in the cargo area. It matches the Cherokee in terms of cargo. Oh wow! It, yeah, it's uh, right right up there. They're very similar. I think they're both hover just under 60 cubic feet of total cargo space. I and, mean, I will admit that the the Cherokee is not the most spacious uh, in terms of cargo space in that in that in its segment, but that is. Pretty nice, nonetheless, right? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, if you were to look at something like an Escape, you're probably right around 70 cubic feet. Same with mm. the the Rav4 and the CRV. But both all those three of those vehicles are much larger than the Compass. Absolutely. Uh, and one thing I liked about the Compass compared to the Renegade is the back seat is totally usable for adults, which is not the case for the Renegade. The Renegade is is cute. It has that retro styling, which I like. But it's really a couple's vehicle. It's not something you'd want to, you know, stuff a family into or put a car seat into. It's 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 tiny in the back, and the the compass kind of improves on that. And one other thing I think that was important about the compass design-wise, I mean, people are like, oh, why do you have three very similar SUVs in terms of engines, capabilities, size, you know, Jeep? Why are you doing this? Well, there's two answers. One, everyone's buying SUVs. So yep. if every company every company out there wants to sell as many of them as they can, Jeep only sells SUVs. So, <laughs> so it's kind of their thing. It's their jam to do this, and they do it well, especially recently. But I think the other thing to consider is that if you look at what's available from Jeep in the entry level, the Compass is kind of like the the middle child, not just in size, but in terms of styling and and customer. Because the Renegade, you know, it's got that off-roady vibe. It, it's got retro styling, as I mentioned before. And it's kind of <laughs> a rugged-looking vehicle. The Compass is, 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 is a baby Grand Cherokee. And then mm-hmm. at the top, you have the Cherokee which is a polarizing vehicle when it comes to styling. Not, not everyone likes it. It has that pinched front end. I think it looks fine, but it's definitely out there. It's not like a standard SUV. So they built the Compass for people to buy. You know, it's it's very mainstream in terms of its looks. Yeah, I totally agree with you on this. Uh, the In terms of the Cherokee, the only one I, I ever found truly attractive was the uh, the Trailhawk model. They, that 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 one looked really rugged and cool, but all the other ones were just, they looked kind of boring and bland to me. This Compass is gorgeous. It really does look like a baby Grand Cherokee, and that's a very good thing for uh, Jeep. And that's the, the selection, it's almost like there's this Renegade that looks like a, like a tough off-roader. There's the Compass that looks like a smaller Grand Cherokee, and then there's the Cherokee, which looks like, well, very unique. So you have a really good option when you go into the Jeep um, dealership you know and and it's it's cool because finally jeep has a fully modernized lineup i mean the patriot and the old compass are still hanging around they're still there but they were they're not on on, in the same league as the anything else in the jeep showroom and that was really apparent so now hopefully by the i don't know the next six months or so when when supplies have dwindled down and it's you don't see this mix of new and old product you're really going to have a much more competitive uh dealership situation for jeep in terms of uh, modernized, that's a great way to put it. Uh, the old Compass and the old uh, Patriot, they had a kind of uh, a really budget interior. Tell me that's not the case with the Compass anymore. No, you don't really have that feel. You're not going to cut yourself on any of the plastics or anything like that. Um, I drove a top-tier limited 
I drove a Latitude, which is kind of a mid-grade truck, and I drove a Trailhawk. They also had a Sport there, which is the entry level. Um, so they weren't, you know, they weren't trying to hide it from anybody. But mm-hmm. you can get it. It's pretty much the full gamut of Jeep technologies and features and and whatnot. You can get three different infotainment systems, including the, you know, the big 8.4 inch um, Uconnect, which is m- my favorite uh, of the pick. Sorry, my favorite pick out of all of the infotainment systems currently available regardless of how much money you're paying wow. uh, you can get leather if you want uh, the interiors are pretty nice but again it's 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 not when i say pretty nice we're talking like you know crv levels of of flair it's not yeah, we're not going all the way to the luxury levels of these cars are no right. it, okay. this is it's a usable truck <clears throat> um you're not gonna hate yourself looking at the dash it's it doesn't feel cheap it doesn't look cheap so that that's that's good for jeep it's it's very in the jeep family it's it's comparable to the amount of money that you're spending and i think that's important but i will say this you can add on a lot of options and suddenly you're spending a decent amount of cash like the limited version that I drove had uh, a technology package and a couple of other features, including a very large sunroof, and it was $34,000 US. Wow, okay. Yeah. So that's more than a base Grand Cherokee. So at that point, you kind of have to ask yourself, what am I trying to buy here? Do I really need a vehicle this size with all this gear, or can I get a? do I want a larger vehicle with less gear, or do I want a bargain style, more middle or entry level part of the Compass lineup? Because I wouldn't call a $34,000 Compass a deal, but it's it's not a bad price, but it's definitely the kind of money where you start to look at other options and just make sure you're doing what you want to do. Um, and speaking of, I'm glad to hear that the, the interior is improved. And uh, it's interesting to see that there's so much... Um, Features available to buyers. The Compass has the only distinction of a vehicle that my my parents, my dad, actually hated. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell you the story why. It's a really it's a really silly story. I think he put his sunglasses on the dash while making like a, a manu- on a rental um, while while putting while making a really simple maneuver out of a parking spot. Um, and I guess uh, the 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 glasses slid a little bit. And uh, they ended up scratching themselves on that on that plastic, that cheap plastic dash that the car used to have, and he was furious. They were it, it was it was one of his least favorite th- like moments in life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I'm, I'm sure he's had he's had far more uh, traumatic experiences, but that was he was like I hated that car for that one reason. It was annoying. Son- well, you know, my sunglasses actually broke this week when I was driving oh, the Compass. Oh. Like they, they just pulled apart. But my sunglasses only cost ten dollars at a time because I know that I'm going to break them because I'm very clumsy. I have the same. I have the same thought process as you. I buy cheap dollar store sunglasses because I'll probably leave them in a, in a car that isn't mine and I'll never get them back or I'll break them. Um, you know, there's there's something else that I wanted to mention about the uh, the Compass that's kind of unique. Well, it is unique in the Jeep lineup, and and in fact, not just the Jeep lineup but in the Chrysler lineup. It is the only vehicle where you can order the 2.4 liter Tiger Shark four-cylinder engine, which is standard across the board. There's no other option, right? It's 180 horsepower and 175 pound-feet of torque. But it's the only only vehicle where you can order it with a six-speed manual transmission. Okay, that's really interesting. I need to talk a little bit about this engine before we talk about that transmission, though, Ben. Um, this, there's, this is the only engine for the car, and that's kind of weird in comparison to the other engines that uh, Jeep has on on hand, right? The the Renegade is available with a turbocharged engine and yes. this 2.4 as well. I think I I think so, yeah, but only with the automatic. 
And then the Cherokee is offered with this 2.4 and a V in a in a downsized Pentastar V6, right? Yeah, it's what 3.2 liters. Yeah, this is a really weird to to just see the one engine option. It seems almost non like very anti FCA. I've never seen FCA to be like there's only one engine here. Well, you know, <laughs> if if you kind of think about it, that that turbo engine from the Renegade, it wouldn't be a good fit, I don't think, for the Compass because of the size. Plus that uh, for the Renegade, I believe it's manual only. Is okay. that correct? You, you can't right. get, I don't think you can get an automatic with that. And I think that's not the, I don't think, well, you know, that's a good question because they are offering a, a manual transmission, the compass. So why not throw that in there? It, maybe then, it's a fuel mileage thing. Yeah. Why don't you talk to me though about the, about the, the engine, the powertrain, how great is this car or how terrible is this car in terms of it is, when it's in motion? <laughs> it is neither great nor terrible. <laughs> okay, um, it's just passable, huh? Well, I drove, so I didn't get a chance to drive the manual. There weren't any present. You can get okay. a four wheel drive manual. You can get a two wheel drive manual. Yeah. It's very, it's unusual. It's weird. You're not really going to find this pretty much from any other automaker uh, in its segment. It's I really believe that I really thought when you said you can get it with a manual, I was like, cool. Like I'm probably a really base model. Uh, version of this car, but no, you can all-wheel drive model as well. Yeah, I think it goes not all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive. Don't don't four make wheel. that marketing mistake. It's cheap, remember. Uh oh. But uh, yeah, it goes up to just under mid trim. I think you can keep it. Um, but uh, the, the there's two other transmissions too. <laughs> there's Wait, a, there's besides yes, the manual. Besides the manual. Two other <laughs> so if you're in your mid-tier Jeep or your base Jeep, you can get a six-speed automatic. Okay, I like that. But everything else is a nine-speed automatic. Okay. So if you start spending more money, you get you get the extra speeds. And this is a transmission we're very familiar with, and this is a transmission that has a reputation of not being very good when paired with a four-cylinder engine. Yeah. Because it 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 loves torque and it doesn't like anything else. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I actually, when looking back, I really do prefer that nine-speed with a V6. Uh, I believe I've had it with the. Um, the 200 in the past and the Cherokee in the past. And it it wasn't as bad as when I've had it with the four-cylinder versions of, uh, of those cars. So uh, I, I, I was I was pleasantly surprised because my experience is the same as yours. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, back-to-back in the 200 with the two different engines, same transmission, uh, same with the Cherokee. But I was surprised that in the Cherokee, sorry, in the Compass, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. Um. I drove the, the my most recent experience with a four cylinder with the nine speed. I think was the the Fiat 500X, a vehicle I really did not like, and uh, a big part of why I didn't like it was the transmission tuning was mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. And even on the highway, it kept shifting and churning underneath my feet. I remember I think the line I used in my review was it felt like a python constantly strangling your fuel mileage underneath the floorboards. It just wouldn't stop shifting, and none of that behavior was with the Compass. They've had enough time, I think, to figure things out. And uh, as a result, the vehicle was smooth on the highway, smooth around town. Where I did notice the problem, we were driving on some very narrow farm roads. When I say farm roads, I mean ranch roads. So a lot of Texas, there's these very narrow roads that they're paved, but they link one ranch to another and they're they're rural. And um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of curves because it follows the the lay of the land. And and the area around San Antonio can get a bit hilly. So you're often slowing down and speeding up because some of the corners are very tight. And when you would speed up coming out of a corner, it was gutless. It was absolutely gutless Mm. unless you floored it. So you had to mentally 
you're coming out of this corner and it's not a performance car. I mean, it's no. not something you want to drive quickly. So you're not thinking, oh, I should just hammer the gas here and, and pull out. So you don't do that. And as a result, you get to the corner and you try to accelerate out of the corner up a hill or just, you know, even on a flat area. And it goes. And it, just and like, lugs, it just like lugs the engine. It lugs and there's no power. So Ugh. that's the, that's it, doesn't the even, it doesn't even do the, the one step down and then the one step down. And no, like, no. Just, like that's first of all, that's one of my least favorite like traits of 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 modern automatic transmissions. A lot of gears is when you give it a little bit of juice and it gives you like this. Oh, you need some power. How about this gear? No, not enough. How about this gear? Nope. Yeah. This gear. Oh, that's the it's one. It's never sure. It's never sure. But that's uh, that's unfortunate. So what would you do? So you just have to floor it, and and that's the only way you'd get out of the situation. Yeah, and I couldn't do it. I, I just never in my mind was I like, yeah, let's do this, and like just hit hit it. But no, I I didn't. I just dealt with it. Um. Okay. But I don't think that's going to be a problem for most people. It's it's something you'll notice. You'll drive around it. You'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's an improvement. Um. Okay, but but no one really does buy a, no one really buys a Jeep for um, the fuel economy and the power and the and the performance. They're buying it for one thing: the off-road capability of this vehicle, well, right? Well, they're buying it because it can go off-road. They're not buying it to go off-road. I think okay. I think there's a dividing line in the Jeep lineup. That's right. <laughs> where, that's right. Where I, people I, are I, buying Wranglers to go off-road, and then everything under that, they're probably like. Yeah, it goes off road, and then like, the, and then they never do it <laughs> because the because the regular could do it for them. You know, like well, if the regular could do it, this one can do it. I just don't need to. Well, it's 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 like having a big wing on your on your sports car. You don't necessarily need the stability at 200 miles an hour, but it's there if you do need it. And yeah. I think that's what the Trailhawk is for for the Compass. Uh, we took it through a uh, we we stopped off at an area that had a trail that we could go on, and the trail was challenging. I mean. It wasn't like, you know, hanging from your seatbelts challenging, but it was lots of mud and some steep climbs and descents and uh, elephant humps so you could get the vehicle on two, three wheels, which we did. And the, it handled it like a champ. In fact, it was actually a little bit better than the Renegade, uh, which was the previous off-roading I'd done. Well, the previous official off-roading I'd done with a, okay. with a Jeep product. And so it's, it's fine. I mean, it'll go where uh, the Subaru Crosstrek, the Hyundai Santa Fe, the Kia Sportage, the the Ford Escape, none of those vehicles will do what this one can. Okay. So if you want to spend think, more... You think the Crosstrek can't, can't handle itself? Oh, definitely not. No. Really? I, I've gone off-roading in the Crosstrek, and under very controlled conditions, yeah, you could handle a trail that's rutted or rocky. If you start burying axles in the mud, if you start getting wheels up off the ground, if you start having to really climb something that's loose you can't lock differentials in the in the cross track uh you're probably asking for a tow and you can do that in the in the uh compass sort of (laughs) you can lock it in you can lock it in low range four-wheel drive okay which will give you a 20 to 1 torque multiplication Okay. Which, again, not something you'll get from anything from Subaru. I'm not trying to knock Subaru, but Subarus are not off-road vehicles. Where, where Subaru, I think, matches the Compass is ground clearance. I think it's actually as tall, if not a little taller or a little bit. They're very, very similar. Um, the the Forester has the same ground clearance as a Grand Cherokee. Yeah. <laughs> so it's at 8.7 inches, I think. So, yeah, you you can, like, drive across a field and get to the cottage and rutted roads and mud and stuff. But yeah. that's kind of where the line is. 
but you're just, you're saying that's not real off. But you're not saying you're saying that's not like true off roading and what these jeeps are capable of. That's yeah, just, I mean, a rutted road is not okay. off road at all. It's 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 you know you're getting where you need to go, but it's not like it's not like if someone put a mountain between you and, and your cottage and you're in the forester, you might be like, yeah, I'll drive around the mountain. <laughs> okay, so it's still a jeep. That's that's the most important part. It really acts like a jeep. It has yeah, some the, some the, models the are. Yeah, <laughs> it has the ability when you equip it. The, the right way to to be a true jeep in that in that sort of uh, personality right exactly okay well that sounds like a very positive um, take on the on the compass any anything you wish it did better or um any criticisms to to share well the, the, you know there's not other a lot the, of power in the pricing oh yes okay the power yeah it's it's fine but it's nothing special uh a vehicle like the escape blows it away with the turbocharged ecoboost engines and yeah, the escape. I mean, the escape is my favorite, uh, like, road-going uh, crossover. It is, but it, so good. It's so powerful. If you look at the Sportage too, though, I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of turbo out there right now. So if, if performance is your thing, you're not going to want to drive the Compass. But I think that's fine because Jeep's not selling you performance. They're selling you off-road image, practicality, and a, a good back seat is is really important. I think, uh, and that's something that the Compass has. Uh, and it's 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 modern. It's it's no longer what it was, and that's overall the 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 takeaway from this vehicle. Very cool. That's a great. Uh, that's a really cool take on this car, and I'm glad to hear that you actually took it some off roading um, and some dirt paths. Those trails then really uh, interesting. I like that. Um, I on the other hand had something a little bit uh, actually very different than than what you had. I had a Toyota 86, which is the 2017 version of the Scion FRS. So ben, which is which is something you own, right? You own yeah, an FRS. I, do, I own do, a first gen, a first year, a 2013 Scion FRS, um, a, a manual blue one, and they gave me an automatic blue 86, and it was very um, disorienting at times. I'm uh, gonna go on record as saying this is a car that should never be ordered with an automatic transmission. Uh, maybe, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, if you can't drive stick, then this automatic will do fine. But if you're going to get the car, you're going to get the car with a stick. That's that's the way to get it. In fact, all the improvements to the 2017 model are for the manual models. So Wait, wait, wait. You're, <laughs> you're telling me if you order the automatic, you're basically getting last year's model? Yeah, in in terms of uh, you'd get this year's model in terms of appearance. Uh, so that means the the wheels, the headlights, uh, the little changes around the fender and the interior. You get that um, as a 2017 model. But the powertrain is pretty much the same as last year's. It's a 200 horsepower, 151 pound-feet of torque boxer engine. And it's, I'm not saying they changed that in 2017 for the manual model, but they've given it a little bit uh, more power thanks to a new intake and exhaust manifold um, and a new rear end uh rear axle which is um a little bit of a, a shorter final drive ratio well that's almost as confusing as jeep selling two 2017 compasses <laughs> it is, i feel like it's almost as confusing that's right you know you walk in and and you're you're psyched about this car and then they're like oh i'll take the automatic and then and then do you think the salesman says oh well, there's something i have to tell you i don't i don't <laughs> think that happens i think they just sell it to you and then you find out from like a, a, a an internet forum or a friend who has a real FRS, sorry, yeah, science, Toyota 86. Uh, it's just, I don't know, it seems like you're setting someone up for disappointment. You absolutely are. If you don't, t- I mean, there should be a giant sticker that says the manual model is the one to get. It has, <laughs> it has, it has, yes, five more horsepower and five more pound-feet of torque is, it's not a huge difference. Um, but that final, I think that final drive ratio um, 
is is a big is a significant difference. So I've driven this as a BRZ with the manual model, and I remember it being much smoother in terms of uh, torque delivery than my car. And I remember that being very noticeable. Um, my car has a little bit of a torque dip uh, between 3,000 and 5,000 RPM, where it just feels like you don't have any torque for that during that area of the rev range. It's um, so sad. It is very sad. It and then suddenly it just feels like you. It feels almost like you have a turbo and then suddenly at like five or six thousand rpm you're like you're zooming again so it's a very weird torque curve um and uh and i can feel it again in this automatic version but the manual one that i had way back um last year felt a little bit more natural a little bit more smoother in that uh power delivery um let me tell you though this car i love driving this thing even as an automatic i absolutely love driving the the essentials of a sports car are in this 86 and it makes you so happy there's so much um I don't know, responsiveness. That's the best way to say it. There's so much responsiveness in the way the steering and the suspension, there's so much feedback in those two areas as well. And uh, it feels like you are just in the thick of it. It feels like the car disappears and you are just driving something and you're just on the road and you can feel every inch of the road. And uh, it really is a very unique way of, of uh, experiencing the road, the, the, the drive. And I don't think very many modern cars do that this way. They get in the way. They have uh, turbochargers. They have big engines. They have loud noises. They have um, uh, electronic steering setups that dull some of the senses that you have. They have adaptive suspension setups that as well filter out some of the feelings that you get. And this car feels like it has none of that. It feels like a very old car. It feels like a, like an old 90s car, but uh, but not that far back. You know what I mean? And And, you know... We're always asking car companies, and when I say we, I mean enthusiasts, to build these cars, to build these the cars that allow us to feel a connection with the road that you just described so eloquently. And when we do get them, nobody buys them, and they rot on the vine, and then the car companies are like, screw all of you, we're <laughs> never doing this again, never doing this again. And it's sad, I mean, okay. You know, you know, I totally hear you. On on when this car came out four four years ago, um, as a 2013 or in 2012 as a 2013 model, or five years ago as a 2013 um, in 2012, there were there was two like waves that people approached this car. One, there were a lot of very hyped people who were like, "Oh, this is exactly it. This is the return of the sports car, a very lightweight rear wheel drive car that was very very cheap." And then there was another group of people who said, "No, nah, it's not enough power." Um, it's not very pretty, and it's got a very cheap interior. Uh, no thanks. And I found that to be very interesting. That there's, I think that I the, think that some well, no sorry go on. That there's two approaches to seeing this car, and I can really I can honestly personally I can see both sides of the argument. I really can. I think that part of those the, those excuses that you just gave are just that. I think that some people talk a good game about wanting to drive this type of car. And then when this type of car is provided to them, they're like, oh, well, here's a list of reasons why I don't actually want to buy it. And there, you, can, <clears throat> you, you can't drive a spec sheet. That's and right. I, think I, 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 I completely agree with you. I absolutely and I think agree with you on that. Some people try to do that. And you it's can either look at this car with a spec sheet in hand or you can actually drive it. And you, you would never understand that spec sheet in, the, in, so the, let's, in that sense, right? Let's, let's talk about a car that blows the FRS away, sorry, sure. the uh, the BRZ and the Toyota 86 away <laughs> on the spec sheet, and that is the Genesis Coupe. Right, okay. That is, a, that is a car that came with a turbocharged engine that only got more powerful as time went on, mm -hmm. but you could also get a really good 3 point something, 3.6? 3.8. Uh, 
liter V6 engine. Mm-hmm. So you had you know Mustang levels of horsepower when it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as much torque, but still. And and you never hear anyone giving that car the accolades that the that the uh, Toyobaru got <laughs> from from the press or from fans because. You know, there was nothing wrong with the cars. They were very affordable at first, mm-hmm. but uh, people just didn't. The chassis didn't give them the connection that they wanted. They, yeah. they were like, "Well, you know, it's it's great. It feels kind of like a, a Korean muscle car." Was kind of kind of the way it came out, mm-hmm. and that's that, that car's spec sheet has everything that everyone wanted. And then you you come to the Toyobarus and you have like, oh, uh, you know, it doesn't have enough torque, doesn't have this and that. Why don't we get the STI engine in it? And these people don't even bother to drive it. Mm-hmm. And it's just frustrating to me. It's the same thing that happens with the Miata. It's exactly the same thing. The Miata's had to deal with that its entire existence. People who want it to be something that it isn't. And even if it was something that it wasn't, they wouldn't buy it then either. So it's, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you're Toyota or Mazda in these situations. Or Subaru. Well, yeah, but Subaru's kind of just along for the ride here. <laughs> you think so? Nobody can really get a straight answer out of either Toyota or Subaru about the the, the, the design and development and, and idea of this car. Uh, and I've heard different stories from both sides of the – from both sides, from one from Subaru – again – it's so weird to hear the contrasting thoughts on this car. Some people have said it was Subaru's idea from the beginning, and some people have said it was Toyota's idea from the beginning. And they needed, they both needed one another to, to work this thing together. We also I, forget to mention uh, Fiat on the Mazda side, which was a necessary part of, of the the development of the MX-5. Well, you know, I kind of lean towards it being a Toyota idea because their heritage is really yep. drawn from from that area, that two uh, rear-wheel drive small coupe thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that, that's, that would be my impression, but I don't have any inside information, you know, that I can rely on to, to confirm that hypothesis. But, um, you know what, after driving this car again, and I said this when I had the, the BRZ a while back, um, if I didn't have one of these things, I'd want to buy it again. Yeah. I would, it's one it of the, f- one of my favorite cars. There is nothing else on the, on the, that you can buy like this unless it's 20 years old, unless it's an old, uh, I don't know, 240, um, SX or uh, an RX-7, but that'll blow up. I mean, or an RX-8, and that will probably I, blow up too. <laughs> I would say, you know, it, it, it's it's one of the few modern cars I would buy as well. Um, it, it's such a blast. I, I think that in terms of similarity, the Cayman provides a, a similar type of feel at a much higher price. Right. I mean, I've, of course, I forgot to, to talk to you about the price of this car. Um, when it came out, it was $24,000. Uh, and now the price has gone up um, about $2,000. Uh, so it's now $26,000. The BRZ is now cheaper, which is a, a rare, uh, which is a, a new thing. When the Scion was around, the, it was the cheaper model of the two. Are there any options on the on the Toyota? No, like, that, is it that, is it still single that, spec no, like it see, was with Scion? That bothers me. I, I really wish that they took this opportunity and said, okay, we can now spec this car up from $24,000 to $30,000, and we can give them all this di- these different trim levels. And you don't have that. You just have the one. It's a base model. So now there's no automatic climate control. There's no navigation. There's no heated seats, which you can get all of those in the BRZ or Ooh. BRZ. Uh, not that they're super important features. Uh, well, same with the push I mean, button start. There's also I a performance know. pack that you can get in the U.S. Uh, for the BRZ, but you can't get for the Toyota. This all has me thinking. You have two companies. One of them, Toyota, doesn't care about volume from the this vehicle. It's a legacy vehicle. It doesn't really mean anything to them in terms of their bottom line because they sell so many Camrys. 
And Corollas. Um, and Corollas. <laughs> and then you have Subaru, a very, very small company that's doing well, but needs to sell. It, they, they, need, they can't have an albatross in the lineup that's sitting in the showroom and, and all the journalists love it, but no one's actually buying it. That's not something – they can't foot that bill. So it kind of makes sense to me that if, if they were – I don't know, whatever deal they have with Toyota, where they would say – let us have the nicer model. Let us have the higher margins. Let us attract more people to our showroom. Maybe that's that's my conspiracy theory. Well, I also understand that the international version of the Toyota, the GT86, um, or 86 in other markets as well, has these has these options as well. It seems like they're just limiting what the North American market gets, which is weird, you know? Well, it is their biggest market, right? So, or I, I would assume it's their biggest market. I guess. For, the, for this vehicle. So maybe to entice people to buy it elsewhere, they have to throw in those things. I really, I mean, after having this car for four years um, and now getting into it again, I'm both very happy because they haven't changed it. Um, they haven't listened to all the people saying it needed a turbo, it needed um, this and that. But I'm also really saddened that they haven't really addressed the criticisms that made some people not like it in the first place. Uh, I thought this was their opportunity with a refresh to at least look at some of those things. Maybe it's time to put different tires on it. Uh, maybe it was time to put a, a nicer interior on it, um, more features, or um, bump up the power in both automatic and, and manual transmission models. It, this could just be a sign that it's a single-generation vehicle, essentially. And that breaks and my heart, too. That really does. I mean, um, it's the FGA Cruiser of the sports car world. You know what? That's also a possibility. But now I'm going to I'm going to grab my crystal ball out and say we know that there's something else coming. Um, it might not be an 86. It might not be something that's under thirty thousand dollars, but it's coming with power. Um, we have seen uh, spy photos of this Supra testing with BMW with it with a BMW Z5, I suppose. And this is going to be it, right? This is going to be what those people were waiting for. But I it's going to be so. expensive, and it's probably yeah, going to be it's... heavy. And they'll complain about that. And, and, and you know, it's, <laughs> there's always something to complain about. There's always... Anyway, I'm not going to get any further into that. But... Okay. Can I tell you one more time? Uh, at 2,700 pounds, this is a wicked, wicked light car. I love it. Is there a car it that is... you... It can, is there another sports car at, at under $30,000 rear-wheel drive... Um, I mean the power. You know what we can we can complain about the power. I'll 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 say it could use more power or more torque actually, but that's the one place I'll I'll actually concede a little bit to the criticisms. If you short shift this car, if you don't nail your shifts in this car, it feels like it's slow. But uh, if you really hit redline uh, with with every shift, especially one two three, you feel like you're flying. Well, it's a car that's meant to connect corners, not stoplights. Oh, and it does that so well. I mean, I did a video with this car uh, out in the countryside. We have a lot of really nice S-turns out there. Um, and this car just fe felt uh, planted when you when you line it up real nice. It feels planted. I know that sounds weird for this car. But as well, at the same time, if you wanted to do a little bit extra, you could just like flick the steering or uh, or upset the balance of the car in such a way to get it going sideways at a whim. It was such a fantastic car. And uh, I, I, I agree with you. If you're looking at this car from a, from a spreadsheet or behind a screen, you are not experiencing it and you cannot, you absolutely cannot uh, judge it at all. Now, um, I had an interesting car encounter this week that wasn't compass related. And it's, it's kind of a similar situation, I think, where the, the, the spec sheet lies a little bit about what the car is actually like. And that's the Hyundai Elantra Sport. Oh, yes. Okay. Talk to me about the Hyundai Elantra Sport, because I've driven this thing as well, and I have a lot of 
positive feelings towards it. Uh, why don't you talk to me about now that you've had it for a nice long week? Why don't you tell me a little bit more about it? Well, uh, you know, here's the funny thing. <laughs> I have not had time to actually look at the spec sheet for this car. Um, I know that it's a, what, a 1.6 liter turbo mm -hmm. with a six-speed manual. It's a four-cylinder engine. And it has more power than the, the base Elantra, mm -hmm. obviously. Otherwise, they wouldn't make it. But they also kind of cooked up a, a little... They, they, they made the experience of the car more interesting. They gave it uh, a louder exhaust... I, I don't know if the steering is quicker, but uh, it looks a little sportier. But, you know, the power on the paper, from what I remember, I'm going to look it up right now because I feel a little weird it's, talking it's about like it. It's like 205 horsepower, I think. It's the same as a, a Veloster Turbo, at least on paper. Okay. And and what's a what's a base Elantra? Uh, 160, I think. Okay. 160 to 180. So 205 horsepower is not a lot of horsepower. It's not like you know, it's, it's it's actually the same as the PRC the yeah. that we were just talking about than the the Toyota 86. But it, I I had people telling me, oh, you're gonna like it. It's like a WRX in terms of fun. It's it's this and it's that. And I was really skeptical because the WRX has a lot more power and torque and a you know larger displacement engine. It has all-wheel drive and all all this fun rally stuff. But the Elantra Sport is fun to drive. It actually feels peppy. Uh, it doesn't overwhelm you with power. You can spin the, the wheels if you want. You can torque steer a little bit if you want. But uh, it feels like it, the, the Elantra got woke. You know, like it's like they... <laughs> It's like they spiked the caffeine right into its veins, and suddenly you you were finding the limits of the chassis, whereas before you were you know carefully driving inside the lines. The, the Elantra Sport really lets you kind of get outside of your your the car's comfort zone and have some fun. And I I'm not saying it's a legitimate sport compact car. I don't know if I would go that far. Um, but I will tell you, I enjoy it more than I did the um, the Nissan Sentra SER. The, the SER Turbo or the yeah. the, Nismo, the Nismo model? The Nismo, the SR okay. Turbo. Sorry, I keep saying SER. I don't know what it is. It's the Nismo. The, the, the SR Turbo Nismo thingy. Okay. Either version, the SR Turbo or the Nismo version of the Sentra, the Hyundai has, has nailed it a little bit better. And that's surprising because both of those cars, well, one of those cars specifically was intended to be sporty. <laughs> and uh, it, like intended to kind of push the limits and make you think, oh, you know, Civic SI, this kind of thing. And it's just, it's amusing to me that we live in a world where there's cars like the Focus RS and the, the, even the Focus ST, and they have, you know, gobs of turbocharged power, and Hyundai's like, well, we, we're not going to give you all that power, but it's still going to be fun, and, and they managed to do it. And it's not like t Hyundai doesn't have a, a turbocharged engine in its, uh, at its at, to use. I mean, they've got that Turbo 2.0 as well, and they can definitely give us something like that. But honestly, I agree with you. This car, they took all of the all of the driver-focused elements of the car, of the Elantra, and they beefed them up. They made them really... Um, really engaging right yeah yeah it's 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 a surprise it's it's the most one of the most surprising cars i've driven this year i mean i know the year is still young but uh i i did not expect it at all i did not see it coming uh so kudos to hyundai for doing that now i uh i noticed when i had it i had it in the fall last year um it had some sport tires some hankook ventus uh, s1 noble something like that uh which was the exact name for it right <laughs> something <laughs> like that um and I remember that being a really that I mean you you and I have always had this conversation that tires also help uh, a car f like feel really sporty. Um, yeah, and in the winter, in the winter it's tough. Right? It's tough. Yeah, I'm I'm using a winter tire, so I'm not getting the full experience. Are you using? Eight, do you know if they're 18s or 17s? Because the car oh, comes. I really don't know. Okay, the car comes with 18s, and I wonder if it still feels that sporty and engaging. There's in the they're winter. stock rims. Okay. They're stock rims. So. They must be 18s. 
the brakes and the and the handling is really what uh, what stood out to me. This, the the especially that it's a rear, it's a new rear suspension. Uh, the regular Lancer has a uh, a torsion a torsion beam torsion beam. Okay. Um, yes. And this one has a multi-link rear suspension setup, so it's a completely new like rear end setup, which is really interesting. And oh, it's definitely. a big advantage, you know. Yeah, it is. It's it's you know it's small changes like that 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 aren't expensive for Hyundai to do. But they essentially create a, an almost all new product. Do you have it's, a? It's, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Say what you were gonna say, Sammy. I'm sorry, man. Uh, do you have a red one or a blue one? It's a weird question. It's blue. To ask. Does it have a blue interior? No, it does not. It, it has a normal interior that people will buy. Okay. <laughs> I mean, did you remember the Veloster that blue that matte blue model? Uh, the Rally. Mm, yeah. It had a bright blue interior, and I remember it. Feeling, I'm not a fan. Of I remember that. it feeling so 90s or 80s, like you know when when everyone had to put like turbo stitching in their cars and like everything yeah. really like tweaked out. Anyone who wants that type of interior will find a way to get it. <laughs> like don't don't force it on everyone, you know. So you like that the, they've really just they've really made the Elantra sport. They've improved it in the places it needed to be improved and there's still a place for more power if they needed it or what? Sure. If they want to, I don't think we'll ever see that car, but I think what's more important is it's still a very practical sedan that's affordable Mm -hmm. and you can, you can buy it. You can buy a compact car like this one. That's practical, reasonable, economical to a degree and you don't have to feel dead while you're driving. So it's nice to have that choice. If you don't care about driving, who cares? Buy the regular Elantra. I'm not saying that's a bad drive. It is a good drive. No, it's a very good but it's, car. But it's not like sporty. The, yeah, I absolutely it's like the Elantra. It's not sporty at all. Yeah. But if you feel like driving something sporty, you can in the same showroom. You don't have to leave and go to Honda and buy an SI. You know, and that's that's a win for, for Hyundai. And there isn't an SI right now. No, but there will be soon. So this is a great time for, for Hyundai to really uh, you know show up with something like this. Yeah, something that that didn't cost them a lot to make. The manual transmission in this car is also really slick. I just want—I I de- mean, I just decent. remember. I remember this car being really good in all the right ways, and that's it. <laughs> anything, so, um, anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to talk about? No, that that kind of sums up my week. But I I think we should uh, let people know that next week is so busy that we're probably going to be off the air for for seven days. Oh my goodness. That's terrible. That's, right. That's terrible news, Ben. It is terrible news. But well, maybe it's good news, for, you know, with us staying busy. That's a good thing. <laughs> so uh, I, I know that uh, for the first first half of the week, I am going to be going to Utah, which I've never been to, to drive the Land Rover Discovery, the new Discovery, through Moab uh, on an off-road trail. And that'll be fun. It'll be enjoyable. We're going to see all sorts of weather. It'll be desert. It'll be sunny. It'll be snowing in the mountains. It's kind of it's going to be an adventure. And then immediately after that, I'm going to the Mint 400, which is an off-road race that starts in Vegas and goes through the Nevada desert. And I will be driving from L.A. to Vegas in a TRD product from Toyota of some kind, I believe either a Tacoma or a Tundra. But get this, we won't be using roads. We're going to... uh, Where we're going, we don't need roads. Exactly. We're going to hit the desert. We're going to drive through the desert in the trucks, and we're going to end up at the starting line for the Mint 400 and spend the weekend at that race. So that that will be very interesting. That's very exciting stuff. I'm not doing anything nearly as uh, as dramatic as that. I'm going to Montreal or Quebec to uh, drive the the new Volkswagen Atlas on a ice on an ice track. Uh, we're going to test out its uh, new all, its all-wheel drive system, um, and that's going to be a very short trip. And then I'm heading to Ottawa 
to take a look at some new BF Goodrich tires and then take in the Red Bull crashed ice um, extreme racing. Sammy is a huge tire enthusiast. I am a very big tire enthusiast. I love tires. Um, that, but immediately after that, I'm heading off to Geneva. So it's, it might be a tough way to get uh, a next, a following week's podcast, but uh, we'll, we'll manage for all of our listeners out there. And, and why are you going to Geneva? For the Geneva Motor Show, of course. That, is that kind of a big deal? From what I understand, yes. I mean, uh, our short list of reveals has about 30 cars on it. Um, wow. And uh, that's what we'll be covering uh, while we're over there. Um, I have some very interesting uh, news to talk about after the show. But um, for now, just just know that Geneva is a really cool place to, to check out new cars. <laughs> well, um, it's, it kind of sucks that we're going to be off the air for a week. But when we come back, we'll have a lot to talk about. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a good show. And if you have any questions about Geneva, about off-roading, about anything, you can hit us up on the Twitter. You can reach Sammy at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And if you want to get a hold of me, it's at Hunting Benjamin. You can also find us on Facebook, I think, Sammy. That's right. At, uh, if you just look for Unnamed Automotive Podcast, you'll find us there. And during this hiatus of uh, being on the air, we'll, I mean, I'll, take a, I'll, I'll be sure to update that with some of the photos that we'll have from there um, and that we share uh, when me and Ben share on our personal accounts, we'll throw some of those uh, photos and stuff and thoughts on the Facebook page as well. So if you're not interested in social media and just want to get down with the podcast, you can do that too. You can get to uh, uh, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, which takes you to our SoundCloud page where everything is hosted. But if you don't like SoundCloud for whatever reason, and I totally understand your politics, you can go to Apple's iTunes or Google Play Music, and you can download and subscribe to Unnamed Automotive Podcast on both of those services. And we really appreciate it if you uh, do exactly that. And if you leave us a little review on iTunes, that would go a long way. Um, we love the feedback, and we'd love to make this show better for you and for me and for you, Ben. And for me. And for you. And so thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you, if not soon, then at least eventually. <laughs> that sounds like a good bet. Take care, everybody, and thank you for listening. <laughs>